But yeah, it's just it, anyone doing anything with friends that is business adjacent, it's worth spending a little bit of time just thinking about how do we separate that, our normal friendship, and how do we have a separate space for the business, for the work? reached hotline design podcast how may we help you and welcome back to hotline design podcast in this week's episode we are so very excited to welcome the one the only mr dan foster aka dan the man entrepreneur extraordinaire dedicated design teacher fantastic freelancer and colossal community builder what doesn't our divine Dan do? So ladies, I have to know, how have your weeks been? Hi, Lauren. Yeah, so I don't know if you remember from a few weeks ago when I went into the office and I got a few books. I have finally started reading one and I'm really enjoying it. It's called Designing for Emotion by, I think it's Aaron Walter. And yeah, it's really, really good. I learned that you, when you think about like a customer journey, apparently like the end of the customer journey is what people remember the most. And if you have a good end, it can actually make up for some of the like bad bits in the middle. But if it's a bad end and everything else was great, they're more likely to remember the whole journey as a negative. So that is my takeaway. Especially if it starts out good, and then it keeps incrementally getting worse and worse because your expectations oh, are always yeah. set so high. Exactly. But yeah, a really good book. Recommend it. What about you, Yusin? So similar to you, actually, Lavinia, I've been finally finishing up The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman. I swear I talk about this every week. And obviously, I'm very close to the end, maybe like one eighth to the end. And... I think I'm quite proud of that because normally I tend to give up halfway on like reading books, especially nonfiction books, but this has been really engaging. And he actually talks a lot towards the end about design thinking as well, which I thought was quite interesting. And I think we probably did an episode on it previously when we talked about the double diamond and stuff. And I feel like just reading that was really good for reinforcing those concepts. And that's my update. What about you, Lauren? Well, I'm getting back into the portfolio. <laughs> So I'm going up for an internal role, but one of the stakeholders kind of asked to see my portfolio and they didn't put like a really tight time limit on it. So I'm back hit, hitting the old pavement and trying to kind of pull that together. And I actually find that it's been a lot better this time around because I have taken on board some of Lavinia's amazing, amazing advice, which is I, for my first round of portfolio stuff, I outlined everything perfectly down to a T in Figma versus in this round, well, I think I just have the benefit of that first case study all lined out, but then I'm just going directly into Squarespace with their simple drag and drop templates. No, we are not sponsored yet <laughs> by Squarespace, but just putting it right into the website and realizing it doesn't have to be perfect, you're just getting things on the screen really helps to make the process a lot faster. And then of course you can kind of revisit and revise as you go along. So thank you, Lavinia, for helping me with my Aww. portfolio woes. Anytime. And I was actually gonna say, Yusin, we must check up on her this week, make sure she's okay. 
But I'm glad it's going well. And yeah, I'm glad you're making progress. It sounds really good. Me too. Keep- Anytime you want to start a portfolio anonymous like therapy group, we are here for you. Helpline? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hotline yeah. helpline? Hotline. Yes, please. <laughs> Amazing. So for those of you keeping score at home, you may have already heard Dan mentioned once or twice on the podcast or even 10 times. He's actually featured into almost everyone we've had on as a guest, their origin stories. So without further ado, please welcome our friend and yours, Mr. Dan Foster. Hello. Hey team. How you doing? Good. How are you doing, Dan? It's really nice to connect with everyone again. Yeah. Oh my God. It seems like a long time since we were all in that community over our old consulting house. God, it's been a... It's been a minute. Obviously doing different things these days, but I still remember those days very fondly. Because mm-hmm. yeah. how long ago did you leave the consulting realm? Let me think. That was, I think, 2019, kind of February, March time. I took what we call leave of absence, took a few months out to go traveling, which is amazing, with a view to coming back. And then, yeah, a few other opportunities came up and decided to pursue those instead. So it's been over two years, yeah, since I was working there. God, yeah, time flies. Amazing. And Dan, like you do a million trillion things, which we're going to get into, but how would you describe your overall title in kind of the day-to-day things that you do? Yeah, my title. I don't know. We talked a little bit about this before, didn't we, Lauren? I think I said, you know, there's like the LinkedIn title, which I think is like digital designer, UX consultant, design educator, and I hate the word educator. (laughs) So that's kind of like my official title. But then I guess that, that kind of just covers the stuff I want to be known for in the, I guess, the freelancing and the contracting space and the design space. But then I'm also doing a couple of like side gigs and working on a, a murder mystery company. So yeah, I, I guess digital design is kind of the capsule because I feel like it's a bit of design, a bit of building websites. I like to throw UX consultant and design educator in there as well, just to, just to remind myself that I'm not just a a dev or a designer like to kind of do things uh, a little bit in the wider space and share my knowledge if I can as well you're one of the closest people I know to like the unicorn I would say I, I spent actually quite a lot of my time this past year learning like javascript which oh. is never something I would think like oh I need to learn that but I've d- I started doing a lot of like web design little little projects for friends of friends and small businesses and stuff and inevitably there comes a time when you're like oh how do you do that thing oh it's javascript Okay, okay. I need to actually learn that. So my my stack is growing slightly, let's say. So it sounds like, you know, you've been in this space for a while, you know, kind of doing UX stuff. So for those listening at home, can you let us know a bit about your UX or career origin story? How did you get to this point in your craft? Yeah, so I, I've always been really interested in tech and computers, let's say, from like a really early age, as some of my old, oldest friends will attest to, Com- complete computer nerd from a very young age. My, my dad worked in IT and my mum is and was an art teacher, so I've kind of been a bit influenced by both of them, so I kind of started off in the, definitely in the tech space, I wasn't really that fussed about design or, or art in the wider sense as a kid. I learned to code, learned to create a few websites as a kid. 
And then I got my first gig as a, I guess, a freelance web designer while I was at school. There was like this business mentor who came into school one day. She was like, oh, wow, yeah, your website looks really cool. Could you make me one? Like, I'll pay you, I think it's, I'll pay you 500 pounds. And like, as a 15-year-old, I was like, oh my days, that's <laughs> incredible. Yes, I'll bite your hand off to get that work. And then I think one thing led to another. And I did some other websites for her and some of her business colleagues and associates and started kind of branding myself as a bit of a freelance designer while I was at uni. And I guess that's the point where just building websites turned into a little bit more of an appreciation of design and because in order to make a really good website, I think it has to look and function well too. So I kind of started to learn a bit about design in the general sense. But I think the first time I encountered UX as a term was when I was in consulting actually. So someone asked me to... Like quickly draw out or mock up what this mobile app could look like. I think it was the way that they put it. Oh, what could it look like? And I was like, well, how do you do this? I think I first started doing it in on pen and paper, as, as most of us probably still do today. And then like, I did something in PowerPoint. This is back in like, I don't know, 2011. I didn't even know any of these tools. Uh, and then somebody said, oh, if you've heard of this thing called Axure, like it's a tool you can use to what we call prototype and create like a demo of this app. And I was like, oh, that's quite fun. So I spent all day, I remember, in the client office, like drawing and dragging out this different UI and thinking about how that could look. And I was like, well, this is quite fun. Landed another role doing some more prototyping, let's say, for the police, actually, and while I was still consulting. And then it kind of just one thing led to another and it became known as a bit of a, a prototyper. And then I kind of saw those two worlds collide like this design and prototyping with my web design and coding to a stage now where I can kind of do the end-to-end think of a concept help a client figure out the layouts and the information architecture design something as a prototype and then bring it to life with code so that's kind of the the long story of how I've got to where I am now which is like I said part UX consultant still doing you know user journey mapping and personas for some of my contracting clients but a lot of the time is yeah designing and building websites really so that's that's kind of the the long and short of it so at the start you kind of mentioned all your titles and kind of everything you do <laughs> just now you start you started talking about how you're learning javascript yeah it sounds like it's quite a few things and we're really wondering how do you balance everything so the learning the mm. teaching the side business, the contracts, do you have any tools and tips for, for that side? There's two, two ways to tackle your question. Firstly is like, what does my typical week look like? And it's definitely not a nine to five, Monday to Friday, put it that way. And I think a lot of freelancers would attest to that as well. And anybody working on a side gig or, or you know, a project like this, like your amazing podcast, like it's something that you pick up on the weekends or in the evenings and, and because it's enjoyable, right? So for example, the murder mystery, session mystery stuff that we do, a lot of that is weekends and evenings because that kind of correlates quite well with my co-founder's times because he works a more traditional nine to five. And then Monday to Friday, I tend to do a couple of days contracting. I'm going to say contracting. It's not too dissimilar to freelancing. I guess it just means more of a, a nine to five day of block time for a specific client. And then a couple of days freelancing. And then I usually just try and take Mondays off. Like that, because I used to dread Mondays so much. Like Sunday night scaries. Like, oh my God. I did not look forward to that first day of the week. So I kind of thought, well, now I'm freelance. Now I'm kind of in charge of my own timeline. Like, what would I like to change? I was like, well, how about Mondays just off? So I tend to take Mondays off. I do a little bit of client work if I feel like it or errands and side projects and like language class and things like that. But 
for the most part, try and keep Mondays free and then the rest of the week I just kind of slot things in as and when. And then I guess the other part to your question, are there any tools which I use to help me organize? Yes, and I was very excited to see that you guys are using the same thing. Notion is like the home of all of my my notes and my client pipeline and like, yeah, everything seems to exist in Notion these days. I'm super excited. They just released their API last week. I don't know if anyone saw. Ooh. So you can like automate your life a little bit with, I don't know if anyone uses Zapier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. So you can kind of glue everything together. Oh, I'm super excited to give it a go. But yeah, Notion is kind of the tool that rules all for me and gets me through my six days a week. Yeah. <laughs> Notion, come on the pod. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we love Notion here as well. But it's really cool how you're talking about Monday because I think I'm exactly the same. Like I, I, every Sunday, which is basically today when we're recording, I'm like, no, I don't want tomorrow to come. And I can actually, like if you're asking me to maybe do my work on Sunday, I'm not too bothered about it. I can do it. But if it's a Monday, I'm like, no. So I think that's actually really cool how you adapted your week to fit you and how freelancing is allowing you to do that. So I love it. It's yeah. just like Monday. I don't know her. Not in this case. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. Amazing. And yeah. I kind of wanted to loop around. So Dan's really been a community builder in the consultancy that we've worked at or currently work at. So I just want to know kind of what are people's crossover story? So I I still remember this because I met Dan the first day I joined. So I was an intern at the time and he came to just chat about his role. And I don't remember if you mentioned design at all, but I do remember just thinking that your journey was very similar to what I wanted to do. And then a few months later, I kind of decided I really wanted to kind of zero in on design. And I think we met around like the fourth floor and you were doing either a design role or you're looking into it. And everyone I spoke to at our company <laughs> was very much like, no, that's not what we do. Like, I mean, I feel like you're not exactly like in the right space, but like Dan was the only person that was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, like you can do this and this and was very supportive. And then I, I left and came back as a graduate. And I think you were again kind of at our induction. So we caught up again and then you were mentioning that you created this Teams community that was basically for the chapter. So I was like, okay, I guess I have to join because I joined knowing that I wanted to do design this time around. Since then, you were kind of there along the way as a mentor and... Yeah, someone who we could all lean on to kind of both learn from and rant when things weren't going well. Oh, well, I'm glad, I'm glad I had a, a positive impact. I think part For of it sure. is just, yeah, a bit of serendipity in that, yeah, I, I was interested in this space. I really wanted to do design and, and, and app stuff and prototyping and then kind of just managed to talk to enough people that I got a role and then I got another role and people would just kind of direct other people in my direction and be like, well... Dan did something similar, like, maybe you should chat to Lavinia or Yusin or Lauren, like, just, just let them know, like, your path and, like, have you got any roles, as these things always go. Yeah, and I, I, I think I, yeah, I was very conscious that it wasn't a, necessarily a very easy path for me breaking out of the bit of that company I was in to getting to the bit that I really enjoyed. So my philosophy has always been, 
if it takes me five minutes or 15 minutes or half an hour to sit down and talk with somebody and connect the dots with somebody else, like always happy to do it because a couple of people did help me in that, in that early endeavor, which was invaluable. So if I can, you know, pass on the torch and help somebody else as well. I, yeah. I just, I was very grateful for the experience I had and I want to make sure everybody else gets a good experience of that. And it feels like now there are parts of, you know, the company that, are known for doing UX and design and there's a bit of a beacon now whereas before it was kind of a bit more disparate glad to hear that <laughs> something I did has been well received oh for sure and you you definitely were like a big part of that community existing and that beacon existing now so mm. yeah oh great <laughs> glad to hear it and then similar to Lavinia yeah I met Dan at the induction and it was really funny it was at this like Soviet cosmonaut event space and I remember we were doing a bunch of like different kind of modules and some were a bit more techie. We even had one about how to fill out our timesheet and some oh, were wow. a bit dull, especially the kind of like Excel related. And then Dan just pops in and is like, I'm going to show you this amazing rapid prototyping tool. And I was like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> so I did that with my group. I think we actually won the challenge, which was just really reassuring. And then ultimately, I just kind of would keep running into Dan on the fourth floor. I felt so sorry for Dan because he was very popular on the fourth floor to the point where I worried that you weren't able to get any work done because <laughs> you're such a well, social butterfly. This is why I never came into the office, Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> Fridays for drinks and networking and then, uh, yeah, try and lay low otherwise. So everyone's like, Dan, Dan, like just running through the hallway doing high fives kind of thing. <laughs> and then you kind of looped me into this chapter where everyone was kind of doing UX. And I was also trying to realign from kind of generic consulting to more of like a, a digital consulting mm. within the company. And you put me in touch with people from the chapter and then I became one of the co-social leads of mm. chapter events, which was really funny given that I was not a UX designer at the time, but it, in a way it was starting to become recognized as like a member of the community mm, until mm. finally I was able to get a Mac, then the roles, then kind of make my way over. But yeah, it was always so nice to have Dan as a, like a huge ally and facilitator of kind of change for those people that wanted something else. So mm. thank you. I have a really similar story to you both as well. Obviously, I think I was very inspired by that prototyping training session that you ran for literally all the new joiners. And when I, like you said, Lauren, it was such a breath of fresh air, I think, compared to some of the other things he covered in that initial week. And I think, to be to be honest, I think without like putting you in the spot too much, because I know we've all been super like effusive about what you've done. I think it's like genuine because I think for the longest time I was thinking, I feel like none of this traditional consulting corporate stuff really interests me. And then I think I kind of talked to you and you were very transparent about how you got there. And I, I saw that you had, you know, really cool projects and you were doing like prototyping and things you really enjoyed. And you, you also tried to involve me in the community building stuff because I think you created a really active team site even before people were really like using teams very much yeah. in the company. <laughs> also, it's funny you mentioned Zapier because I think... I, I remember we were trying to think about like issuing comms to people and oh, finding yeah. a way to like automate it. But obviously, I think there is an internal sort of like Microsoft tool similar to Zapier that you can use to automate stuff, but we didn't have access to that. And I always thought you had like really cool ideas and you also organized a bunch of, I think, events for the community. You somehow 
got people to sign up to this Envision like event when they were releasing Envision app. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was so fun at like Tate Modern or something. We went to like that talk and yeah, that was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty fun. So yeah, I, I feel like you know you've done a lot, and I think just kind of talking to you and kind of hearing like stuff that you do and how it's important to pass on. I think that's really inspiring and something we're still trying to do, like me and Lauren, I think within our practice. Hello. So Dan, you've done a lot at the consultancy and now you've got this really new, exciting entrepreneurial endeavor with Sessions Mysteries. So we want to know what inspired you to take the leap of faith and to launch this entrepreneurial endeavor. It was Session Mysteries, yeah. It is an immersive murder mystery experience, to to coin a phrase, that my co-founder and I, my best mate, Johnny, we started a few years ago now. Just to give a bit of context, it's kind of an experience. So it started off as something you'd you'd do in person. We'd hire out a bar or a hotel or something. We'd invite typically a corporate team, like an end of project social or a Christmas party or something. We'd host them all there, maybe... 15 people, give everybody a character and a role and then run them through this experience and then try and figure out who the murderer is. Slightly elevated over the traditional murder mystery concept through use of some cool tech and yeah, some some extra clues and QR codes and bits and pieces like that, which rapidly transformed into this digital experience again because of COVID last year, where we had to rebuild the whole thing as this online, uh, this website basically that you click through with your friends and we'd have a host join you for our corporate events. We have a real actor who who joins the call and kind of guides you through everything. And it's been really fun. I think in, in response to your your question around how do you kind of balance it and what, what made you decide to take that leap of faith, I'm a big believer in kind of the side gig mindset. I, I don't really love the phrase, but the idea of doing something on the side while you have that stable employment, if your employer allows, is is such a good way to start something. And in the same way that, you know, you're all working on this podcast, thankfully it's not it's not full-time. I'm sure sometimes it feels like that, but you can just do it on the weekends, right? And, and prepare after work, which is great. The same with Session Mysteries, really. It meant that, you know, when I was starting it up in the early days while I was consulting at the weekends, I could meet with my co-founder, we could work on it with no pressure for it to work out so we hadn't we hadn't quit our day job you know we still had our incomes coming in and if it worked it worked if it didn't it didn't and it also i think as well as removing the pressure it just kept the fun there because it was like we can just experiment we'll try something new and if it doesn't work hey no problem we're still going to eat this week so i think that side gig mindset really helped and i feel like seemingly everybody is is starting that over the past year i've seen so many like new little brands launch on Instagram. You know, oh wow, this is so professional. And you click on the page and it's actually just a friend from school or, you know, a, an old colleague has just started something basically on their own or just with a friend. And I love that. So yeah, big believer in the side gig mindset. And I think that was what gave me the confidence to launch something. I think also because it maybe wasn't my first time launching a business. You know, I'd, I've been running Dan Foster Design, doing like uh, freelance for years now so I kind of get the ins and outs of you know keeping your records and raising invoices and all the boring stuff so it didn't feel so onerous to start that and I decided to take all the business and the I guess the marketing and the design and the tech side of the business and leave my co-founder Johnny to guess more of the operational and the the creative storyline the storytelling element of of what makes an immersive murder mystery so compelling like a great story right so yeah a very roundabout way of saying 
do it on the side don't quit your day job (laughs) that's that's awesome advice so what's a day-to-day like at session mysteries yeah so it's quite hard actually and i think we struggled with this a little bit at the start to kind of delineate and divide the responsibilities between two people because at the start everybody just wants to help with everything and I'd be working on the website and then Johnny would be like oh let's put this on the website and and me being precious about the website obviously as a designer it, you gradually fall into some kind of set behaviours and, and figure out some set roles but a typical week because we do it as a bit of a side gig and, and Johnny my co-founder is yeah has a full-time job it tends to be that we work on it in our own time work quite asynchronously which is quite cool and occasionally once a week we'll have kind of a joint working session so most Sundays actually with the exception of today we do kind of a three or four hour has been virtual we'll hopefully become in person again working session where we just crack on together a bit more of a strategic session like what are we going to be doing over the next month or two how do we get there set our goals and then independently throughout the course of the week we can just chug through our own tasks of course we have a big old notion board with all of our not started in progress done tasks and we just drag them over as we as we progress them and just keep each other updated on slack one of the interesting things that i noticed about starting a business with a mate and my best mate of all people is the importance of again that delineation but delineation between like work chat and but normal chat as because we just we were just chatting on whatsapp just on our usual message thread just like oh have you done this on the website and before before long i kind of realized how oh, most of our chat is now just about work and like i didn't want that to become our our friendship basically our whole friendship is based on this business so after a couple of months i was like let's set up a slack channel like just a separate space if we're talking about session mysteries we do it there if we're talking about anything else we keep it on WhatsApp. And that's worked quite well, actually, because um, it provides a bit of delineation. But yeah, in terms of how we work a typical week, pretty asynchronously, I probably spend maybe, I don't know, a day or two on it a week and, and Johnny the same. And we're both quite agile and you pick up stuff as stuff comes in. You know, occasionally a, a client will be running an event at 8 p.m. on a Sunday and they won't have had their email because it will have bounced and Johnny will hop on his laptop and fire it out again. So we can be quite quite agile and work kind of whenever we need to but yeah that's a kind of the typical day is not really a typical day it is the answer it's all over the place i love the banter space and then the space to be professional <laughs> and when i say professional yeah. <laughs> air quotes yeah there is a blurred line yeah. between the uh, between the two spaces let's put it that way <laughs> Yeah, I I find that fascinating because I think what you a lot of what you said also kind of resonates a little bit with us because obviously mm. we started this podcast and I I really like what you said about just blocking out like a time to set your goals and then work together and actually that's mm. something we're trying to do as well just like experimenting with different stuff and Lavinia mm. had this awesome idea last week to be like why don't we just get on to a virtual session and just like work or do all our tasks together and I think that's especially like useful during this time when you know probably a lot of the time you're kind of isolated or or on your own and it's quite difficult to find that intrinsic motivation to get things done and I think just like being on a call with other people and having that time blocked out to do that that's such a good tip that's really helped us and just doing something silly like okay you know with zoom or whatever you can share your audio or share your screen so 
doing that and putting on like a YouTube mix or a Spotify playlist and then okay you pick the next song and just something that makes you feel like you're kind of next to each other which we miss a lot actually like just having a day of we'll all work in the same room feels quite energizing whereas if you're remotely it's a bit it's a bit meh but knowing that somebody else is also there struggling through a task while you're doing yours is, is quite nice I think yeah I also like the point that you kind of wanted to preserve the friendship because I think it's at the back of our mind as well I remember when Clubhouse was still popular. When Clubhouse <laughs> like, it's was so popping. Weird how... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, like, I, yeah, it's, it's weird how it's like looped down already. But there was this designer that I think both you, uh, both Yusin and I follow. He was talking about how he started like a beer company on the side of his design company mm. with a friend. And it felt like he was really digging into the friendship mm. because. They weren't aligning on everything and stuff. And I remember listening to that quite at the start of this gig of ours. And I, I literally was like, there is absolutely no rules on this other than have fun and keep it fun. Because the last thing I would want is for the three of us to fall out. Like this podcast can, I don't know, end tomorrow and our friendship like is still intact. And I like, I, there, I don't want anything to kind of jeopardize that. So yeah, it, it is quite challenging. And I, yeah, it's it's cool that you have kind of systems in place mm. to protect that. Yeah, and I think you just um, have to be deliberate about it. Like I've listened, one of my favorite things is listen to podcasts about people starting businesses, which is so meta because I should probably just go and do it myself. But you know, how I built this and podcasts like that that tell the story of, oh, often, you know, a duo forming a company, often mates, and they talk about the ups and downs of it and how you know now they figured it out but there were some rough times i've heard the story enough to know that you have to be deliberate and kind of put in place things that will will help that i'm lucky that how many i don't know if you've met johnny before but he's so relaxed and so chill so if anybody's going to be the one getting stressed it's going to be me (laughs) so it's more for my own sake than his because he's so chill always but yeah i think it's just anyone doing anything with friends that is business adjacent it's worth spending a little bit of time just thinking about how do we separate that our normal friendship and how do we have a separate space for the business for the work and also just keeps you organized as well definitely So we touched a little bit on how you delegate tasks between each other and how you manage everything. But we're actually really curious if your kind of design self or your UX knowledge has any impact on the process of designing your business or designing your mystery sessions or things like that. Has that impacted it at all? Yeah, I think it has. And I think maybe naively at the start, Maybe not so naively, but to begin with, it was very much, let's just try it. Let's just put something out there and see if it works without much thought to process and rigor and doing things by the book. But I think once we've started to evolve it and iterate it, it's been clear to me that by using some of those methods that we've learned from design thinking and workshopping, it'll A, help us run the business better and B, create an experience because that's what it is that our customers really enjoy so there's some behind the scenes stuff like so if we're planning out a new storyline we'll release a new story every few months we'll do a user journey activity where we say okay as a customer you start here you 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 sign up on the website and then what happens all the way through to 
you figuring out who the murderer is at the end of your two hour experience what are all the pain points that could happen and then we've done a bit of kind of emotional mapping as well so at this stage we want you to be like really i guess i guess tense and apprehensive about like oh the murder is going to be revealed like how do we build that sense of tension okay well there's some things we can do on screen there's some text messages we can send to your phone halfway through the experience to kind of build up the tension and ratchet things up and then how do we want you to feel at the end like that sense of relief and that sense of accomplishment and and then from a business perspective that sense of i really enjoyed it i want to tell people about it how do we build all of those feelings and those actions to our, our experience so a lot of user journey mapping i guess emotional mapping as well and then just as a, a general i guess concept on how we have built session mystery it's been very iterative and i'm a big believer in that start small add something else, add something else, change it, test it. And while we haven't done necessarily as much user research and by the book testing as I would like, it's been clear from, you know, the couple of years we've worked on this now that some things work really well and some things don't work. So for instance, our decision to start focusing more on corporate events has paid dividends really because it's been it's been a really interesting area of the business and there seems to be a lot of interest there. And then doing things like, oh, well, should we just try launching an online experience? Because during COVID, we can't do face-to-face. Should we just try it and see how it works? And thankfully, it really took off. So just trying something with a really simple website and then adding on features, improving the design, making it even more immersive every week with little tickets of work has been a big part of our I guess on methodology. So not necessarily strictly a design mindset, but yeah, following iterative principles of design and build has been helpful. Doing a lot of user journey mapping. And then I guess the only other thing is just really genuinely listening to users. And like I said, we haven't really been running 100% structured user research sessions or usability tests all the time, but even just, I guess, just being true to that concept of listening to users. At the end of each experience, if you if you ever do a murder mystery, which I hope, I hope you do, at the end of the experience, you get sent a really simple survey. It's three questions, it takes 30 seconds. And we tell you that up front. Honestly, it just takes 30 seconds and it will help us to no end. Just what was good, what was bad, any other comments is all we ask. And we get a, a surprisingly large amount of people fill it out, mainly because I think they really enjoy it and they want to help us. And then I follow up with pretty much every, every review that comes through over email to say, thanks so much for your comments on this. We're actually, we're really proud of that thing. We're glad you noticed it. Oh, and that thing you said we could improve on, just to let you know, we've put that in our list of to-dos because we agree with you. That's a really important thing. And we had a few responses from people say, wow, I didn't actually expect to get a response to this. Like people don't usually respond to my feedback emails. Like, thanks so much. Like, good luck. And like, I'll actually be thinking of running one in a couple of weeks. Like it's little things like that have helped, I think, just to make sure people think they're heard. But also I think getting those tidbits of information and those iterative updates in our backlog directly from users mouths rather than us just thinking oh this could be cool to work on so yeah a few ways but i'd like to think we are kind of following design principles and practices as we as we build session mysteries and it's been fun kind of sharing that with johnny who's not from a design background he's from more of a I guess a business and finance background and sharing with him oh actually we can use post-it notes to map out the experience and we've had a couple of workshops now where he's grabbed the post-it and said should we just stick this up on post-its and think about the pain points i'm like yes amazing (laughs) another convert (laughs) yes so proud yeah which has been fun but yeah a good advert that you know anyone can pick up these tools and use them to help with a business or a side gig or a project or anything 
I have a question actually. You said when you first launched this with Johnny, it started out as a side gig sort of project. And in the spirit of design, did you kind of launch an MVP and test that with friends before launching the full thing? Or did you yeah. just jump straight into it? Yeah, it, it, was, it was literally that. So the very first time before it was even called Session Mysteries. First time I experienced this immersive murder mystery thing. It was a group of us from uni. We were away in a, in a cottage for the weekend, which was great fun. And Johnny said, oh, I've, I've, I've created something for us to do on the Saturday night when we're there. And we're like, what have you done? He's like, no, no, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. I've created a murder mystery and it's about us with all of our names and characters in the story. And I was like, this is so cool. And I was like grinning throughout. I was like, this is amazing. And um, I was the murderer. Um, and it was, it was just so good. And at the end, I was just like, we could do something with this. Typical, like having to turn it back to business. But I was like, no, we could do something with this. And he was like, well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the following year, he did it again. And I was like, no, we have to do something with this. So he wrote a storyline, again, inserting my friends' names into it for my home friends, my friends from school. Um, and we did it on New Year's Eve a couple of years back. And they loved it. But that was the first time that it was kind of done to, kind of, to hire. And I think they paid us like, 30 quid or something just to do the whole thing and we were like we got paid amazing and like we tried it all out and we tried things like we in that first one it was all facebook messenger bots so you would all receive text messages throughout the night with information about the murder which in principle was really cool but then we found you know everyone was just staring at their phones the whole time waiting for a message so it wasn't that engaging so yeah that was our first one and then from there on we said well let's try the the text message thing but Let's dial it back a bit. Let's do a little bit more in-person, like physical clues. We tried that for a bit and then we found that we just spent all of our time printing off bits of paper. That's not very environmentally friendly and it takes ages. So yeah, we've slowly iterated and improved. A lot of it being with friends. And so eternally grateful to all my mates for, for joining Murder Mysteries in the past, past couple of years. And yeah, and then gradually... Um, rolling out new features and whenever we test a new story before we put it on our website we get that original group back from from our uni just to say firstly thanks so much for joining secondly you don't have to pay for this um, but we'd love for you to have a go and see how you find it and then we, we gather all the feedback from them and then we offer it out to the the wider the wider universe i suppose but yeah definitely a lot of testing with friends Oh my god, this group of friends is probably so spoiled in terms of like their social gatherings and interactions that <laughs> they can't even just go to the pub like informally and just relax all together. They're like, where's the theatrics? Yeah, I'm waiting for the call. Yeah, yeah what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Kind of taking this back to something we talked about earlier, how do you think your superpower in community building has helped you with your business? It's a good question. And it's super far. Wow, I'm, I'm flattered. I don't know about that. One of the things we've we've been doing, especially over the past year or so, as, as you all know, you sin, is roping in <laughs> some of my friends and colleagues of, of, of previous years to, to help with social mysteries. And I think part of that is, yeah, to an extent, you can be cheeky and ask for favours and stuff, but also paying people what they're due and, and saying, oh, I know somebody who's an amazing illustrator, Yusin, would you be interested in doing some some design work for us? Which you did, and it is amazing. It was a centerpiece of our latest nautical-themed experience. So thank you so much for doing that for us. Um, and, we, you know, we're doing a photo shoot next week for some corporate pics that we need doing for kind of a, a listing on an events website. And one of my one of my best friends from uni is a events photographer and a wedding photographer so she's coming to London for the day and going to do that for us and obviously you know I think 
using that network and, and not feeling like you have to do everything on your own has been one of the biggest things for me because I'm very much... Uh, I think I'm a wannabe unicorn to, to coin a phrase like we were talking about before I kind of think like oh I can probably do the design and the coding and like I can probably draw something I'll probably take photos in reality the older you get and the more refined all of my friends and their colleagues and my colleagues are getting in their career paths you realise people are getting better and better at their thing like I don't have to do everything myself like I can stick to building the website for Session Mysteries and making sure the experience is great Johnny will do an amazing work on the storyline and then to run our experiences we've got some actors now who do those because they're better than me and then for the illustration we've got Yusin because I know she's better than me at that and so using your network and building a bit of a session mysteries team in a loose sense of, of freelancers and contractors and friends really who you know you can rely on has been really yeah really beneficial for us I think amazing I love what you're saying about like the wannabe unicorn because really <laughs> you're a unicorn where sky's the limit so you're a pegasus oh wow okay <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what, I, what I really love about what you said, I think it actually translates into career stuff as well. Because I think when you become more senior in your career, I think you realize what you're good at and what other people are good at. Love it. <laughs> and we have got a new hotline design hotline caller this week. Hey, hotline design hotline. I'm Ines, a product designer. And I'm a long-time listener and a first-time caller. I was so excited to hear that Zan Foster was going to be on the podcast. I just started on a new client and it feels like there isn't a real sense of cohesiveness. I was wondering if you had any tips on cultivating such a great community and what can I do to grow community size and level of engagement? so many nice comments today in terms of building a community and building that cohesiveness with your clients i think one of the big things that's been important for me is around listening more than talking to start with and building a sense of trust that you're not there to change everything and and just do things your own way but actually you're really there to listen and understand what the client wants so spending a lot of time asking questions open questions that encourage your participant to speak and open up and yeah, being open, I think, is just really important to start with. I think, you know, there's that old Steve Jobs saying around customers don't know what they want until you present it to them. And I think sometimes as designers, it's tempting to just go ahead and say, OK, here's the redesign. Here's what we're going to do. But I think with clients, it's really important to sit back and listen, just soak up everything they have to say, both about the challenge at hand and also their organisation. So you can get a feel for how you fit into that and all the politics at play so you can hit the ground running. I think the other things that have helped me in terms of community building and, and kind of filling that sense of, I don't know, that void or the silences is icebreakers, little workshop tricks, like giving everybody a pen and a post-it pad to make sure everybody feels engaged and they get up and stand up and start engaging with your activities. And then kind of on the opposite side of that, thinking about how you get people to really engage and talk and speak up is like the importance of of silence as a tool so we do this a lot in our in the teaching days when I was doing this at Flatiron School and my boss taught me a great technique around like the six second pause so asking a question and not being afraid that they're not saying anything right away waiting six seconds because often something will kick in their own awkwardness and then they'll want to say something and they'll they'll pipe up with some with some really useful insights often. That's a bit of a mishmash of answers, but I think in terms of building that cohesiveness with your client, it's around listening, 
pausing deliberately sometimes and then when you're in a time when you really need them to engage doing little things to to get them on their feet get them excited and make them feel like they're part of the process nice that's really really good the only things that i was thinking of was exactly what dan was saying about listening and kind of making sure that you understand what engages them i think we're all kind of in the kind of starting point of our career still and sometimes we work with people that are in a different stage of their life and I noticed that for example when we work with older people they're not as engaged in like the community as maybe the younger people are because they just have different responsibilities and things like that so yeah just being mindful of what gets people engaged and what their limitations are when it comes to that and then the other part I was thinking back to the days when Tan was creating our community and what actually probably helped the most was having one channel of communication in that space it was teams and everyone felt included there was no like side groups side meetups no no nothing like everything was there and everyone had access to it and i thought that really helped the community I think you both have offered some really, really great tips on how to build a community. I think I can somewhat relate to the question because I started on this new project earlier this year and I might have mentioned before, but I'm working at a financial services organization and I think it's quite a different environment from what I'm used to. In the past, when I wanted to build a community, I would rely very much on actual digital tools, but I probably should have taken a step back and this is just what I've learned from the past three or four months. What you said about listening and also being very clear about like the goals and challenges that your client is facing are really important. So, you know, before mm. you even jump into building or trying to build a community in the first place, I think it'd be really good to understand what exactly you're there to do, like what's the purpose of building a community. Again, ask the client a lot of questions and just really try and listen to what they have to say. I like being very transparent about my process and what I'm doing. So in typical consulting style, I'll, you know, try and plan out like the next phases of what I'm gonna do in the project. And I think I was getting a lot of emails at one point or a lot of questions on these daily standups being like, what are you doing? And I think that didn't really help build trust. So what I do now is just have a weekly regular check-in where I essentially take the client through like the plan, kind of get people to chip in and make it a very open space. But almost like blocking out that time for people to ask questions has also helped me, I think, not get too distracted like day to day and not have to rush to answer people. And then I think especially in like these times as well, I know probably not so much about community building, but really in being transparent with those meetings. I think it's so important to like make sure you have a purpose for every meeting because otherwise it feels like a waste of time. So as much as possible, I like to try and plan what I'm going to talk about in that meeting and just send through like a quick agenda ahead of meeting up with the client just so they know you know what you're going to cover and that we're all on the same page. That transparency I think is is so important and I found that quite valuable during like my contracting stuff over the past few months. Yeah, doing something as simple as every week taking your client through what what you've done and kind of being proactive about it before they ask you what have you been doing. I think is so it's so helpful and for me like I, I do a lot of work where it's just maybe one or two days a week with a client. So my my typical plan is at end of day I just send a checklist of here are the things that I've achieved today and here are the things that I'm going to be working on next time whether that's tomorrow or next week. Amazing most definitely and Ness, thanks so much for calling in I think Dan, Yusa and Lavinia you guys have covered some really really amazing things so one thing I want to expand on is just I think 
To really create community, you need to create a space where people feel respected, heard, and can also have fun. And I really like to speak on the fun element. So one thing that I've started doing recently with a team that has been really successful, and it's a blended team of people from the consultancy and clients, is you have your stand-up update, your agile stand-up, where you talk about kind of what you're doing, what you're looking to close out for the day, uh, what you're working on. But then at the end, you kind of rotate a person every day to do something fun. So we started off really kind of elementary with just a dad joke. Then we did a cycle of everyone doing a dad joke and we knew we had to evolve this. So then someone came up with the idea for everyone to do like a one page slide on what their spirit animal was. And it literally went from like animals to like anime characters to mine was Graham Norton. And then once we got through that round, I came in with the idea that you should share who you were in high school because nothing brings you together. Like seeing like really unfortunate pictures of other people and like knowing their secret past. So we did that and it's actually been so much fun. It's a great way to kick off the day. And then you really feel like you're bonding and you really feel like you know, you've taken the time to get to know someone because you know a little bit about, in some people's case, their distant past, in other people's case, like who they were two years ago, because we've got a lot of young whippersnippers on the project. Then also the importance of socials. We can't unfortunately just kind of go out for like a cheeky pint with people at the moment because of the pandemic. But I do like organizing kind of socials that are activity-based so you're either doing like an arts and craft or even a sessions murder mystery would be amazing or like amiibo some something where you're all getting the chance to unbutton and just really get to know each other in a fun environment and let kind of the work sit to the side for the evening as as you get to focus on getting to know each other i like how you kind of started like with a slightly tamer introduction oh, yeah. okay let's just <laughs> let's just start with the dad joke it's a little dad joke yeah. and then by the end it's i want to see the most embarrassing photo of you from 10 years ago <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or longer like what's the worst hair you ever had let's see it on a slide in front of everybody right you, now you, like, you built your way up yeah hd no excuse <laughs> yeah it, it's a really good way everyone's like yeah i can handle the dad joke and then yeah show me your deepest darkest moments <laughs> bonding we love it amazing well thank you Inez, so much for calling in and dan just before we kind of wrap up the pod today is there anything you'd like to plug or where can people find you Yes, so finally I can plug my business, which I haven't been talking about this whole podcast. Oh my God. Yeah, so you can find me and find us at Session Mysteries on Instagram or sessionmysteries.com. Yeah, still going strong with our, our virtual events. You can do it as a self-hosted thing where you just do it yourself with your friends or you can have a slightly more premium package where one of our actors will join you as well great for socials and work events We'd love to see some of you there and we will have to do one i'm sure with our our podcast community which i feel like hotline mystery yeah we'll have to <laughs> wow customized story i see it and um, yeah that, that's me personal stuff yeah danfoster.design drop me a message if you've got any questions or any interesting bits of work I'm always interested to hear yeah twitter dj fost if you want to if you want to follow me but that tends to be a bit more of a unfiltered view of my life and customer service agents that I'm berating online because my parcel hasn't arrived or something. <laughs> I love it. I And I think that this like custom murder mystery would be amazing where like the hotline design hotline caller is the murderer and they're calling into the podcast. 
Wow. Yeah, I slayed my UX. I need help. Yeah. yeah okay. Confessing to their crimes, but also asking about the double diamond. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And that just about does it for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for calling in to Hotline Design Hotline. And as always, if you have a question, you can call in at anchor.fm slash hotline design pod. You can find us on Instagram at hotline design pod and Gmail hotline design pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll catch you next week. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected. Please check the number and try your call again.